Hi, this is Areej Noor, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm pretty excited to be speaking with the creative director of one of my favourite uh, festivals in Victoria, Yurumboy. Caroline Martin is a proud Yalukit woman, Willem woman of the Boomerang and the creative director, like I said, of Yurumboy First Nations Festival. Caroline, it's great to have you on the show today. Good morning. I'm really excited to be talking about Yurumboy. So Thank can- you. Can you please just tell us a little bit about Yurumboy Festival, its beginnings, and um, what what it actually is? Okay, so in the shared languages of the Boonwurrung and the Woiwurrung, Yurumboy means tomorrow. So it's very much a future-focused festival. It's, um, it's about what could be for First Nations creatives. It actually has no theme. It's just enabling people to celebrate the survival and sophistication of who we are as First Peoples today. The, the festival is um, in its second iteration. Well, we just had the second iteration of, of Yurumboy, and it's a biennial festival. The last festival was in May last year. We catered to over 300 magnificent First Nations creatives with with more than, you know, 350 uh, creative spaces on offer. Mm. Like, it was stunning, absolutely stunning. It's an amazing, huge festival, and it is one that's been running for a little while now. I remember when it started, um, was it 2017, the first first year? So the first iteration of Year and Boy was in 2017, yes. 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 And before that, Melbourne City Council actually ran ran a... a First Nations festival, but it was like over a weekend, and this is just broadened out to now be an 11-day festival that celebrates more than 2,000 generations of continuous living culture and knowledge. So it's a biennial festival. It's pretty stunning for, for the city of Melbourne, but also for us as a First Peoples nationally. Mm. So it's the only, um, the only First Nations festival, a First Nations-led festival, in its own right, um, in Australia, it's and it's a huge festival as well. And I've been to a few events over the last kind of few years, the last two iterations of it. It's also a multidisciplinary, a multi-platform festival. It is not like a you know just a performing arts or a visual art. Or there's just a wide variety of different art forms on display and there was even last year there were international First Nations artists who came came down for the festival. Yes there was so my remit is really about local first and when I when I say local I say um, Victoria, Victorian Koori's, uh national and international so it's a celebration of the diversity of, of First Nations people here and in the world. So, yeah, we, we had an incredible lineup of just stunning First Nations artists from, from all over. And, and, yep, Canada and Hawaii were very much in, um, in our festival. Mm. And, and also uh, Taiwanese. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, incredible. So uh, we had we were actually partnered up with the Taiwanese festival, um, the Palima Festival in Taiwan, and we took five um, First Nations artists over, or four actually, four First Nations artists over to Taiwan, and they matched them with Taiwanese artists doing the same genre. And then they came and they performed in Taiwan and then we brought them to Melbourne it's, to do the same. It's amazing. It's an amazing festival. And besides just like the performance or the creative, the artistic element of it, there's also a consideration on like arts criticism. So there's the program Black Bloggers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, as a part of the festival, it's actually we have the Black Critics. Yeah. So the Black Critics are people that we engage to, well, and and we pay them for their incredible writing skills, but they go to all the performances that we select and then they write about it and critique it, which actually then encourages people to, to read their writing but also go and see the show for themselves to, to make up their own minds. But the Black Bloggers is something that we've actually created as a part of of being locked down in mm. isolation. So it's, so it's our way of um, expressing ourselves resilience in isolation. So we've created this program called Black Bloggers, which enables uh, First Nations artists, First Nations creatives to, to put forward anything that they want to put forward in relation to where they're at now in isolation. Mm. So, and, and it might actually express be broader than that. People might just want to do poems and um, sing songs, but we're paying the artists to actually um, to provide us our content for mm-hmm. online. Uh, we've had two already, absolutely stunning. I'd encourage people to get onto the Year and Boy website or Facebook page to, to check out our black bloggers. We're actually also, once we've moved out of black bloggers, I think we'll keep black bloggers, but... Mm. We're also going to do a whole program that's called Resilience in Isolation, and that is actually to enable visual artists and um, all different genres of art to create work, develop work, and, and potentially showcase it on our online platform. And so how's it going for you and the Yurimboy team in, in your land of big festival programming um, with all of these shutdowns and lockdowns and, you know, you work with a lot of artists who rely on the events industry. How's it going for you guys over there? Well, that's why we actually created the Black Bloggers mm. because we wanted to provide opportunity to say, well, we're still here and we're still caring for you and your practice. And, and know how incredibly hard it is to actually be getting grants and things mm-hmm. like that in isolation. So we created the Black Bloggers for that purpose and Resilience in Isolation. But one of the most stunning things that, uh, that keeps me really motivated, obviously, in isolation, I'm sort of one of, I'm one of those people that gets really creative around people. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I guess... Um, that's my personality too. But I, I, every week we actually do a check-in, we do a zoom-in and we'll spend a couple of hours with my four First Nations producers and my uh, Yerimboy, um, Yerimboy manager 
who actually does all the finance and all the important stuff, um, looks after us in relation to funds and our marketing manager. So we actually connect in, we come up with all of these incredible ideas and, and so the ideas are continuing to flow yeah. and I put forward ideas and my, my secret weapons, my magnificent team actually just go out and, and do it. Yeah. They, they go and source what I actually need. So we just do a check-in. We're always accessible to each other on the phone. So Zoom-in is the best. Yeah. And, and so we're like full on, full steam. We're actually, we're still engaged with the, the success of Boy is that we actually partner with other art organisations. And so Arts Centre Melbourne, um, Arts House, the meat market is our main hub. And so the way that we're actually so successful is that these arts organisations then, I curate it, but they produce the, um, the black content in their, in their institution. So they're enabling our people to have space in there where normally that wouldn't happen. What I'm incredibly proud about right now is that we've got three new organisations that have actually just said we can't wait to be involved because of the success of last year. And, and these are organisations that are a little bit uh, arts organisations that might not necessarily have engaged before because they really didn't need it. Mm -hmm. Well, And I don't know that they didn't really need it. I think that they're just a little bit more elitist, but they're, they're breaking down the barriers and they want in. So I get really excited about that. So they've signed up to it. Um, I won't say who they are because everyone will, will see when it actually is all revealed. But um, I'm so excited. We've got more partners. I thought that people might be slowing down on this. They're just getting more excited about it. So, yeah. And it's like a planning time. You know, if you're lucky enough to still have work and you're lucky enough to, you know, continue, you get to pause and do a bit of reflecting and then hopefully do some planning for a future program, um, which is in 2021 for Urim Boys. So there's still a little bit of time to, to start really working out and hashing out exactly how to make the best, the best festival for next year. Oh, absolutely, and 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 that's the beauty of the biennial festival. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, you know, I feel for everyone else that actually had a festival this year that has had to cancel because it's going to get you know jam packed when we open again, and everyone's going to be fighting for the time to actually schedule their festival. We're actually really cemented in ours. I mean, well, not cemented. We don't know how long this is going to go on for, but we're we are planning for yeah. for May twenty twenty one. And, and nothing's, nothing's stopping us. And, and what it actually is also enabling us to do and understand is that the online platform can actually work in, the spa in, in a space of void. And so it's not a space of void. It's actually an opportunity to showcase online. Yeah. They could potentially do a virtual festival. <laughs> I think there's a few arts organisations that are doing that in the next few months, virtual festivals, and there have been a few who've already done them. In Victor, the, Emer the Emerging Writers Festival does the Digital Writers Festival and it's pretty much all online and they get, you know, it's quite a successful experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, the only thing that I would actually, the only thing that I think would be the inhibitor is when you're actually trying to sell tickets to yeah. shows to be able to um, program for your next festival because you do have to generate income. Yeah. 
But if you can't, you can't necessarily generate an income by having an online platform. So then you actually really become reliant on grants. Yeah. And yeah, so so that would be, be the only inhibitor of it. But whilst we've got this opportunity, we're doing everything we possibly can to actually continue to showcase the sophistication and stunningness of, of who we are as First Nations in this country. So I just want everyone to get on board. I yeah. mean, you know, one of the big things that I'm actually incredibly proud about and what I push all the time is that whilst it's our culture, First Nations culture, it's actually Australia's history mm-hmm. and we actually all should be proud together. That's the unity that I actually hope for in this and, and you're on boys a magnificent platform for that. It is, and there are expressions of interest for commissions that close on Monday um, for the 2021 festival. What are the guidelines for the applications? So they, so the expressions of interest. I'm so excited about this. the The commissions are for four people, four creatives or communities, whatever. We have no stipulation in relation to how many people could actually join up and do something. Um, But there is four commissions on offer. They're development commissions. You need to be First Nations. You actually need to be really um, strong in your identity in relation to who you are as a First Nations person, peoples, and... You need to live in Victoria, and so it's not—it's not relegated to just Victorian quarries. It's actually for um, all First Nations artists that, that are based in Victoria, mm-hmm. and it closes on Monday. And we're incredibly excited about it because once we select who those commissions will be, then I and our development pr- producer um, Jermaine Beasley will actually work with them quite solidly to support them in their development, albeit online. Um, We also have um, another commission that has already closed, but it's called our Street to Stage. And the Street to Stage is, uh, as part of the festival last year, we had um, Barring Animal, which was the blackout of the city, so a citywide blackout where we had over 80 artists performing all over the city, out the front of David Jones, out the front of Myers, out the front of the State Library. We had a Deborah Cheatham and the choir. Um, and then we did an expression of interest to all of those people that were a part of the citywide blackout to go from street to stage. So they're in development now to do a performance as well as a part of a beer and boy. So we've, we've basically got... It's coming up to be more about like 10 commissions, your boy will commission for, for our festival next year. Which is such an and, awesome and, process to have people, you know, present their work who may not have been individually selected by producers and, you know, they could be of different circles, they could be artists who have been quietly working and, you know, not that many people know about and being able to kind of apply for this and then also be part of the festival and then be supported. It's such a, it's such a nice collaborative system to have for a festival like this. Oh, absolutely. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why, you know, we've just got to get this thing... We've all got to just look after ourselves and and be open to the world by next year because I really want to do everything we possibly can to actually showcase all these amazing First Nations artists. 
The other thing that I would actually say is that um, I, I checked in with Jermaine last week and already we have um, 16 expressions of interest for our year and boy commissions. And I am absolutely, they're out of that 16, eight of them are Victorian queries. So whereas before our, you know, Victorian query community might not necessarily engaged in the first festival because, mm -hmm. you know, it was it, it, it was trying to find its feet, whereas my remit is really about local first because I want people to see the diversity of who we are and to celebrate us in our own, in our own um, state. And one of the things that I've actually also put forward is that I want to um, do a pilot program in four Victorian Koori communities so I've picked um, Mildura, Swan Hill, Mildura... Oh, did I say Mildura? So Mildura, Swan Hill. I know. Mildura, I've just come from there. Mildura, Swan Hill, Shepparton and Achuka Moama. Um, I've put them in together. And we put in a submission. I can't say who, but I'm pretty excited that we've actually been shortlisted to actually work with those communities to not only... Um, uh, encourage and, and celebrate their diversity as different language groups in Victoria, but to have the opportunity to showcase their creativity in their own community and then bring it to Yerimboy. Mm. And so my hope for that is is that once we invite Victorian Koori communities to really engage in this festival, they'll actually see their own communities in the state doing something and will actually want to be encouraged and want to be doing the same. So it'll be truly a reflective festival of local first, celebrating locals, then nationals and internationals. I'm so excited for Yurimboy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Yurimboy next year is going to be so incredibly exciting. I think that, you know, we're all missing a lot of the festivals in Victoria yeah, at the moment. And I think you and boys want to certainly look forward to. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, thank you. Have a magnificent day. You too. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> no worries. See you later. Caroline Munn is a proud Yalukit Willem woman of the Bunurong and the creative director of Yurimboy First Nations Festival. The expressions of interest for Yurimboy Festival 2021 are closing on Monday. So if you're First Nations artist based here in Victoria, jump on yurimboy.net.au for all the info you need. Um, right now, I'm very excited to introduce... Uh, my next guest who is on the line at the moment, it is Hamishi, who is a Somali artist living here in Australia um, and also a member of Family Rap Ensemble Fano Spa, who we have uh, had on the show before, in fact, premiered an entire song um, and also an author of this really amazing book. Hamishi, thanks for coming on hey. the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Elise. It's so nice to have you back, albeit on the phone. It would have been... Way nicer if you were in the studio, but that's okay. Maybe we can do that next time. Yeah, I'm sure I'll see you soon. <laughs> How's it going with all the lockdown and shutdown stuff for you? Are you dealing okay or is it, you know, some days harder than others? I mean, I think that's the case, like everyone. Um, it's all a bit surreal, you know. We're not sure if we're, we're quite dreaming. Mm. I'm sitting out in the front of my house actually right now and um seems like 
my neighbor's being taken away in a uh, ambulance with um, oh my staff in, you know, full kind of protection gear. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, sorry, I got a bit distracted by that. I really have no okay, shut up. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's all been really surreal. Um, for me, it's, it's, I mean, the day-to-day isn't so different because uh, I work in my studio at the back of my house, so I'm here a lot. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think what's, what's confusing is um, we don't really know what world we're living in mm. <laughs> um, or when we're living, you know. I, yeah. I feel like we're, we're just past the end of an era so abruptly um, that we're kind of thrust into this, this new world. It's really unusual because I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 and how it feels like we're, they're like two different universes. I think, I feel like they're just completely different worlds almost. For me personally, you know, I was overseas. You and I hung out in London at the beginning of 2020, living our best lives. And and now we're just in this really unusual situation. It's like two, two different worlds altogether. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good, and that's that's what I've been like. You know, while I've been trying to, I think at the start of the the lockdown, the quarantine process, I was struggling to resist this like you know, use this time productivity kind of like stress and push. You know, and I kind of just realised that I, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know when we were or what was going on enough to actually respond to the world and keep working on my things. You know, absolutely. I, t- I totally know. And I think, um, you know, at the beginning of this year when we were both, both in London, you were there to launch a book and you had other engagements in Europe and in London. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this book and especially because thematically it's based on something that's happened in your life that relates to the United States and border and customs and get, being on a plane and, and right now nobody's yeah. really travelling on planes and no one can. <laughs> and I think yesterday Trump announced that there, were just, there was just zero immigration to the United States right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give us a little kind of talk through what that situation was and why you decided to, to put it together in a book. Yeah. Um, well, in uh, 2016 I was uh, I'm a painter and um, I was travelling to New York for a solo exhibition. Um, and, yeah, when I got to LAX, um, I got, you know, I've always had issues entering America, but it's, it's never been so serious. Uh, you know, I mean, for me, I guess, maybe I'm acclimatised to it. Just a few hours kind of out of, you know, of trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah, they decided to hold me in a cell for, um, for about 14 hours, and there was a lot of little dramas that happened within that. Um, but, you know, in the end, they uh, cited a, quite a new, vague anti-terror law and um, sent me back to Australia without any you know, reason. Um, so I guess uh, I sat with that for a few years. Um, and I think, um, I think it, was, it was difficult um, because I'd always tried to, I don't know, escape this country, get out of here, you know? So I think it kind of uh, disrupted how I imagined I might do that. Um, and, yeah, I, the opportunity to write a book came along, and um, I thought that uh, maybe it would be cathartic to write a book about this experience. Mm. 
Was it cathartic? Yeah, I think the best one of it was like, like, like it's obviously it's it's not true 100% to the experience, you know? And <laughs> no, I think it's like, not. It can't be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's not. laughs> um, And I think that, like, taking those uh, liberties and kind of constructing it into a better story made it my own rather than something that just happened to me. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want the story to operate. as like, oh, look at this thing that happened and kind of, you know, be merited that way. I want it to actually kind of be a interesting and strong, you know, story. I think that if you wrote about this story in, like, a non-fiction sense, it would still be an interesting and strong story. But what you've done in this book, which is a graphic novel, um, I was lucky enough to be at the launch in London, uh, which was so incredible, actually. FYI, I don't, know if, I don't know if I was able to tell you that. It was incredible. And it wasn't just yourself. There were these, you know, other incredible artists who um, performed some work or read from what they were doing who were part of the same series of commissions yeah. as you... And it was just this unbelievable experience. But just being, um, just reading the book and having access to it at a time in my life where I was travelling on planes um, and often getting the security check, which I get every single time. It kind of becomes a running joke in my life. Um, But it's not, it's not, you know, that serious because you get used to it until it's real, real when you're locked in a room for a long time and your phone is taken away from you and it really, really starts to get real. What was the um, experience for you when you were writing this book and and putting together the graphics for this book? Was it, like, traumatic at all? Did you re-traumatise yourself? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I think... uh, I'm I'm pretty good at maybe integrating experiences into who I am, mm-hmm. um, or you know into myself. Like I, I, I'm I'm pretty readily able to accept what happens around mm-hmm. me, um, for better or worse. So I don't think it was I don't think it was traumatizing, but it was it was quite therapeutic, and maybe in the way that. Um, Sometimes when you tell the story or when when you think about maybe events that were a bit traumatic, um, you know, you have a certain language in which you remember them, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're illustrating yeah. that for, for an audience or for people who don't know you, you kind of have to explain every detail, you know, and you mm-hmm. start to kind of look at things from maybe a perspective that you can't get, you know, just in your head or just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. The characters or, you know, the people in your book are, you know, they are some strong characters with some really interesting, you know, backgrounds. But also I spent, when I first got this book, I was laying in this Airbnb and I read pretty much 95% of it in one go. I think I read half of it on the train home and then I read the rest um, that night and the next morning. And Hamishi, I was cracking up from beginning to end. I thought it was just your humour through and through was just unbelievable. It made me feel guilty because I knew how awful the situation was for you. But it was so funny. Like, I just, I hope that that was the intention. Of course. Okay. I I just don't know what happens in your mind, my friend. Like, I don't know whether this is just how you you saw the situation. But it was out of this world funny and the type of characterizations that you made were... were just a little bit too real, you know, the type of 
type of complexes that some airport staff have or the type of people that might be stuck in those rooms with you. They were a little bit too real. Was What was it like making those characters? Well, um, the thing about making those characters, I felt kind of terrified of it, you know, because they, they were loosely based on real people, you know. I felt less complicated about you know, narrativizing the um, border security officers. But um, for me, the most difficult thing was writing the um, writing the other detainees, you know, mm. because, I don't know, it's, I think it's just so hard because it's their experience too, you know. I only know from conversations that we had in the cell, um, you know, a certain amount of, the, of their lives that, you know, I'm not going to put, into story Um, but I think doing them justice so they aren't just like vessels for my story Mm -hmm. you know making them kind of whole people I think that was that was the most difficult thing I spent a lot of time on the characters before the before the book even started I kind of made almost like a little you know as if it's like a celebrity gossip magazine or something with interviews with the characters Before the book, yeah, before the book was a thing, you know, yeah. just to kind of understand who they were, and to know how maybe the story could pass through them rather than them passing through the story. Mm. And you kind of stopped officially making, um, like, painting or making that much art, particularly art for display, for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. Did this did this reignite that for you? Um, I think. Not, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think to an extent, it did. In, in, in the case that I hadn't drawn for a long time, um, yeah. I started out my practice drawing, and um, yeah, I haven't had let myself kind of slow down and enjoy that part of the process. So I thought that uh, I was kind of getting away from from creating kind of new form um, in that immediate way. So I think it did bring that back to me, um, but. I don't think I don't think it's what restarted the painting process. I think that that just was kind of happening on its own. Yeah, in a different timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are copies of the book available online as well as in other ways. How can people grab a copy of Airport Love Theme? Yeah, you can either um, order it from Bookworks uh, in the UK, who are still sending out uh, orders, or um, if you want to avoid uh, some of the international shipping costs, uh, the distributor in Australia is Perimeter Books, Thornbury. Um, I'm quite sure they're doing online orders, so um, just shoot them an email and um, they should be able to send you one. It's called Airport Love Theme by Hamishi Farah. It is incredible. It is super captivating. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think even though I know you and I know this situation, I think that it is an incredibly insightful, you know, read for people. Um, and of course the illustrations, because it's you uh, out of this world and, you know, the dialogue is unbelievable. Like it's 10 out of 10, I would say, if I was, <laughs> if I was a, a book critic, 10 out of 10, you get a hundred percent. That's high praise, thank you. Thank you. Hamishi, how's it going with Fano Spa? What's some new stuff coming out? Yeah, there's a couple of tracks that um, we recorded just after the album. Um, one uh, uh, featuring our only, you know, collaborator during that time, uh, Miss Boogie. So um, they'll probably come out at some point. But uh, 
I want to give a happy birthday to Brown Boy Magic, who's on that song with um, uh, Joe Corey. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, well, Larry's baby, my little brother. Um, you have been in the last little bit since the start of this pandemic stuff, talking online about, um, and in, in an IRL, about rent strikes and considering um, the people who are finding it difficult to pay pay their rent when losing jobs or in these conditions that we're in. Can you talk me through a little bit conceptually about what would a rent strike look like in Australia um, and what are the kind of conversations that are being had about rent strikes here? Yeah, well, um, traditionally, uh, first of all, there's never been a rent strike in Australia um, and traditionally wow. they're organised on a building-by-building building basis mm-hmm. um, or landlord-by-landlord basis based on... Um, you know, the, the the building not being, or the landlord not uh, holding their end of the bargain, you know, and um, using rent as a way to leverage uh, a landlord being accountable for this, you know. I think um, right now we're in unprecedented times um, where so many people in this country are without work um, and so many people also are slipping through the gaps of mm. some of the uh, government subsidies and uh, handouts that are going on. Um, so it's going to leave an incredible amount of people who aren't able to pay rent. You know, So the rent strike is happening in solidarity and with those people who are unable to pay rent right now. Mm. Um, and it's 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 an attempt to pressure uh, real estate and the government into a full cancellation of rent and a complete amnesty on evictions. There's been a six-month moratorium that's uh, been somewhat dubious because some people are still getting kicked out of their homes or threatened with eviction notices. But also I think it's incredibly important at the same time to call for a full um, mortgage holiday, mm-hmm. um, which would mean that uh, there are no losses incurred uh, on behalf of the landlords. Not that I'm trying to defend land ownership in this country. It's not something I believe in, but um, I don't think something like a rent strike would be possible without taking that into consideration. Yeah. And it's it's interesting when you think about mortgages and landlords and, you know, banks and, you know, these kind of big institutions like banks who are asking to be bailed out um, while still expecting people to pay mortgages uh, for houses that are being rented out and these systems being run very specifically for wealthy people to continue to be rich while poor people don't or people who don't have an income currently and can't pay rent um, will literally won't be able to, to live in their, in their homes. Exactly, and at this point, that that becomes uh, a health issue because people need to be distant. People need to actually have secure housing to be able to practice social distancing. Yeah. Um, So can people jump online and do some reading or how can folks get involved in whatever campaigns there are running or wherever you're at? Um, Go to... uh, ozrentstrike.com actually I'm not sure it might be rentstrikeoz.com I'm pretty sure it's ozrentstrike.com mm-hmm. um, and there'll be links uh, there's a Facebook group in 
every state at the least, and then um, within those states and major cities, there's um, smaller regional groups, mm -hmm. um, and those people can help you get involved. Right now, uh, there was a megaphone pledge um, that had 17,000 people committing to strike, um, and, you know, hopefully we can work together and there, you know, can be a few more. Um, also, you know, if you need uh, to talk to anyone, any assistance, you can uh, get in contact with, um, yeah, your local rent strike group and, um, yeah, hopefully they can help. Yeah, it is ozrentstrike.com and I've just jumped on the website and there's lots of information, there's resources, demands, groups, you can go through and watch some videos, there's lots of resources in in here, including um, paying the rent, a resource on national um, paying paying of the rent. So, Hamishi, mm -hmm. I want to ask you before I let you go and we start playing this mix. Uh, what are you working on? What happens? What are you doing at the moment? What's happening? Not to you know project productivity onto you, but what's happening <laughs> in your world? <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a few painting shows overseas that uh, have been. Um, indefinitely postponed due to this crisis. Uh, so at the moment I'm working on expanding the garden beds with my housemates. Um, I love it. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. Um, and I'm, I'm making some more little uh, spin-off comics for online, but uh, it's still pretty early in the work, so we'll see how that goes. Um, watching Sopranos. <laughs> I love and respect yeah. all of the above. Thank you so much. <laughs> for sharing and also thank you so much for having a chat with me this morning sending me this little playlist that I will start playing in a minute and for the amazing book that you've put together and all the awesome art that you've done in your lifetime Hamishi <laughs> Thank you so much for having me That's so sweet, stop it <laughs> um, I'm going to start playing the first track in your list by Alice Coltrane, do you want to give it an intro? Um, yeah, I think um uh, it's a special song to me, um, Alice Coltrane and Sarah Saunders. Uh, uh, yeah, I, look, I hope, I hope you'll enjoy it. I find it um, quite relaxing. Uh, I think um, it's, the mix is pretty uh, slow, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, if you've got the time, sit with us and, and um, yeah, just enjoy yourself. Thank you, Hamishi. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'll catch you on the flip side when everything's done and dusted and we can actually see each other. Yeah, take care. <laughs> you too. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much to all of my guests this morning, Caroline Martin, who's a proud Yalakut Willem woman of the Boomerang and the creative director of Yurumboy First Nations Festival. Yurumboy 2021 is requesting expressions of interest for commissions for next year and these close on Monday. So if you are a First Nations artist based here in Victoria, jump on yurumboy.net.au for all the info you need. And, of course, a big, big thanks to Hamishi for jumping on the phone to chat. It was so nice to catch up over the phone. You can grab a copy of Airport Love Theme online through Bookworks UK, Perimeter Books here in Victoria. And uh, you can also DM Hamishi on Instagram at Merlin Carpenter. There are a few copies available to be shipped from Melbourne if you would like them. And for some info regarding rent strikes, you can jump on uh, ozrentstrike.com and there's a whole bunch of resources there for you thanks for listening to this podcast of triple r's the rap 
a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.